The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how are we doing this week, my friend? Hi, friends. I'm doing good. Um, my my team is uh, at war with its fans, which is weird. Yeah, it's a weird time to be a Mets fan right now, for I- sure. You know what? I, I've been a Mets fan for, let's see, 21 years now. Wow. Um, and <laughs> this this might be the most that the Mets have ever met. Yeah, there's a lot of there was a lot of hope and bright eyes, bushy tails at the beginning of the season. And ever since that point, it feels like it's been an absolute slog for you and, personally and for just oh, like oh, yeah. a lot of Mets fans out no. there. So uh and in the pitcher, the pitcherless Discord has actually been like a flame today, because uh, there's Ooh. been a lot of there's been a lot of discourse around like, you know, fandom. Oh no, not and, the discourse. No, <laughs> there's so much discourse in the Discord. <laughs> uh, like everyone's discussing like what it means to be a fan and like you know is booing okay Ooh. and like you know do the do the players have a right to like complain if fans boo if, if the yeah do the player yeah do the players have a right to complain if the fans boo. It's a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm personally like, I'm not a booer. <laughs> Me neither. I feel, like, I, I feel like that's one thing that I will pretty much almost never do unless someone's like doing something completely egregious. Like if someone like pulls like a cheap shot or something like that, if someone intentionally throws at someone's head, I'll boo in that instance. Oh, but no, you, like, boo, you boo my jokes all the time. Well, those are acts of violence in and of themselves, to be fair. It's and the I'm assaulted equivalent I'm, of I'm beating assaulted. someone in the head. I'm, I'm assaulted every single week with your puns, Schwebzy. This is this is well known and well documented at this point. We literally re- released an hour of audio every single week where I am assaulted by your awful jokes. Every day you hit record and I choose violence. <laughs> and I, and when when the time comes, I have those receipts. Just you wait. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it is a very very weird time to be a Met fan right now, and I don't I don't envy you in any capacity there. Um, 
you had an interesting day yesterday, right? I did. I got to fill in on the On the Wire podcast with Adam Howe uh, sans Kevin Hasting because he was on vacation with his family. Uh, it was big shoes to fill because for those that don't know, Kevin is the 2020 TGFBI winner. Uh, but I got to say, it was really, really fun hanging out with Adam and talking baseball for, I mean, we hung out for two and a half hours in the uh, Zencaster call. It was very, very fun. Uh, I would highly recommend that one, you obviously listen to the episode if you have time. And then aside from checking out the episode, I mean, both of those guys are incredibly sharp and definitely worth a follow on Twitter. Uh, you can follow them at their podcast account at on the wire pod. And then individually for Adam, it's 80 grade and that's all spelled out, not the numbers. And then for Kevin, it's hasting Kevin. Uh, so be sure to follow them, show them some love. And like, I mean, again, they're really, really smart dudes. So they're just well worth the follow anyways. Yeah, like normally I, I hate them because they're better than us, but I'm really happy that they had you on to kind of bring them down to our level of quality <laughs> temporarily. Yeah, I mean, it, it was funny. Like when in the intro, Adam was like, I brought in a ringer. I was like, ringer is a very generous term to use for me, sir. But thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it was very difficult to fill Kevin's um, shack sized shoes. But I did my best and I hope that he had a very nice vacation with his family. Um, but yeah, uh I guess we should probably get into it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I guess so. I guess we should talk about like actual fantasy baseball stuff. So uh, just a couple quick notes, just kind of talking about stuff from previous weeks. And then also just one little quick injury note that I thought might be worth mentioning at the top, but I didn't want to do like a deep dive on because it's someone that I covered like really, really early on. Like I, th I think in our preseason episodes. Um, but let's start with uh, Jake Myers continuing to do good things. Uh Schwebzy, do you want to take this one? Dude, Jake Myers has been absolutely unreal. You know, how many RBI do you think he has in the last 15 days? If I had to guess, I was going to say like, I mean, I, if I figured he was doing good things, I would say like 10. Yeah, he's been my 14. Guess. Yeah, he's been, he's, he's been excellent. Dude, he's playing every day. We talk about this all the time. Opportunity means so much. And Jake Myers yes. has an opportunity to play in a great lineup every single day. And it might continue when Chaz McCormick comes back because again, Chaz McCormick, not very good. So yeah, I mean, has been worse than Jake Myers has been this year. Right. Now Myers has an unsustainably high BABIP, but he's Fair. hitting well enough that even if that BABIP comes down, he could still be productive. And again, 14 RBIs, RBI in 15 days managers like that stuff managers like when you you know drive in the runner so you know it's as analysts we're like yeah lol rbi dumb but uh for the actual teams that stuff matters yep exactly and he plays plus defense too in center field yes which is worth noting so i mean a lot to like about jake myers and i think he's going to get a decent amount of run like you said i mean and that's the thing too is like Chas mccormick is on the 10-day il with that left hand issue Issues like that are really hard to come back from a lot of times because they can get really easily re-injured swinging the bat. Like any sort of like weird contact or like a weird swing can make that injury reoccur. Uh, so, I mean, along with that and just the fact that, again, Jake Myers has outproduced Chaz McCormick, I feel like Myers might get run for the rest of the season here in one of the premier offenses. So definitely worth rostering him. I think he is still below 20% between ESPN and Yahoo, if I yes, remember. Yes, he is. So go get him. We already talked about him last week, but go get him. Uh, someone else that we also talked about right now. 14%. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And uh, 
Yeah, this other guy, 3%. Yes. Yeah, you uh, jotted this down here too in the pre-show notes. Uh, Bradley Zimmer, who had yes. a stolen base today as well against the uh, Red Sox. So he's providing a little bit of that value that we saw and noted. Right. And I gave the host, Jordan, a lot to work on because in the notes, I just wrote Bradley Zimmer, exclamation point. Absolutely. But you know so, what? I'm prepared. I have things to say. I have you're insight. Welcome. Yeah. In the last 15 days, hitting 283, which is mm-hmm. higher mm-hmm. than you will probably expect from him. He's not a high average hitter. But uh, in the last 15 days, two home runs, four stolen bases, six runs, seven RBI. Like that plays in any league. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in your 15 teamers, especially like you're happy to have that kind of production from someone who, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I don't think he was getting drafted by pretty much anyone except for in the latest of late rounds. Right. Because he wasn't going to play. Absolutely. Yeah. So Zimmer has been a nice little surprise for the, for the Cleveland future guardians. Yeah. And again, 3%, he is available everywhere. He's been a valuable part of both my AL only team and my abysmal TGFBI squad. (laughs) Oh man, what place are you in again? Sorry, not to like just roast you in front of everyone. It's like 350th out of 430 or something like that. It's not good. I was going to say, I found out I'm in 105th place right now. So this is why I tell you, Jordan is the brains here. No one listens to me. And Schwebzy is the beauty. We everyone's, all know this. Everyone's always like, no, Schwebzy, you're the better one. Don't worry. Everyone's, everyone says this, but really it's Jordan. It's not true. Schwebzy, well, I mean, again, you have the looks. You, you have <laughs> the looks. Which part isn't true? No, I, uh, that I'm the better one. I mean, you are. I, I mean, there is some value in being a baseball himbo like yourself. Hmm. Um, <laughs> batting, batting my baby blues at the camera right now. <laughs> What's well, sad? I can't even look at you right now because I have another screen up. Oh, there it is. Okay, now I saw you. There we go. Oh, you guys, you're, you're so. Oh, also. Something that I should note before I move on to this last little news piece, before we get into like the real meat of the episode, if you want to watch Schwebzy bat his baby blues at me through a webcam, you should join us for our Sunday night streams on Schwebzy's Twitch channel. That's over at twitch.tv backslash Schwebzy. Again, that's S-H-W-E-B-S-I. Uh, we start around 9 p.m. Eastern time every Sunday night. Uh, you can join us there. You can chat with us, ask us questions in real time, distract us from actually preparing for the podcast. If you so choose, uh, we would love to have you here. Obviously, uh, we have our usual crew of like Buster and Kyle. Uh, Nick Pollock will stop in every once in a while. So if you want to ask him a question, maybe you can kind of like grab his attention too. But yeah, join us over there on Shrubsy's Twitch channel every Sunday night when we if record wanna, this. If you want to pop into my stream and ask a real analyst a question, uh, Nick Pollock does stop by on occasion. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, yeah, definitely join us there. But then, okay, let's get to this last little news bit. Just one that I wanted to throw out there again. I've covered this person. I covered them in the preseason. I thought they were like a really good sleeper for a catcher. Uh, Hasn't panned out as well as I wanted it to, but he does see himself with quite a bit of opportunity now with Mitch Garver out. And that is Ryan Jeffers, who's currently only 1% rostered. Uh, in ESPN and Yahoo leagues. Uh, Garver is out with lower back tightness and is going to have an IL stint here. So I think this is a good target for those of you in two catcher leagues that are having trouble finding value in that second catcher position. And you should pay close attention here over the next week or so. Uh, With Garver on the shelf with that injury, he's going to be in line, he being Jeffers, uh, is going to be in line for a lot more reps over the next few weeks. They did also bring up the Twins. They brought up Ben Rortvet to act as additional depth while they wait for Garver to get right. But uh, Jeffers does at least have some power in his profile. So if you're looking for someone to fill that second catcher spot that has a little bit of pop, he's not a bad option. 
Yeah, big big Ryan Jeffers stands here on the pod. So uh, I hope he uh, hope for a speedy recovery from him, so we can see what he can do. Oh, you mean Mitch Carver? Oh yeah, yeah. Other way around. Yeah, no, I got you. You're good. Um, let's see here. Okay, let's get into these hitters then. Uh, would you like to start off with a little K Bear action, Schwebzy? Yes, uh, I, I have finally. I, I don't think I've said Kybert once today because I have finally learned the right way to say K Bear Ruiz's name. Uh, I, I'm not going to waste any time here. We were talking about this on the stream to try to figure out like where K Bear lands in our personal catcher like quote rankings. Where we're too lazy to actually do rankings, but just you know our <laughs> metaphorical rankings. And I, where we landed was that just based on his upside. Ruiz needs to be rostered in basically every league. Maybe not, you know, not like your small hometown, like uh, eight team, 10 team leagues, not those, but anything Yahoo standard or bigger, he should be rostered, I think. And I'm basing this off of the fact that like the bottom end of the top 12 catchers is guys like Sean Murphy, Christian Vazquez. And based on Ruiz's, is it, I, Ruiz's is I'm I'm have I'm struggling here. <laughs> no, you got based it right. on, Ruiz's. Ba- based on K Bear's minor league stat line, he could easily outproduce these guys like right away. I love the skill set. This is like this is the kind of thing that when I'm looking at a major leaguer and like he's got like a sudden uptick in production, like this is the stuff that I'm looking for, and he's already doing it in the minors, which is awesome. Oh, Ruiz's, for sure. Yeah, Ruiz has never had a strikeout rate over 14.4% in his minor league career, and that was back in 2017 in high A. He just he doesn't really strike out, which is a rare skill nowadays, and it's a, especially a rare skill for a catcher. And like players in the modern game period, just everyone strikes out so much that having strong contact rates is just, it's almost an outlier skill nowadays. And on top of that, he repeated AAA this year, uh, a, a repeat assignment from 2019, because, you know, we had the 2020 year off. He's yep. even walking more in his second go round and hitting for way more power than ever before. It's just a really nice combo. It's a switch hitter with a good bit of patience, great contact rate and power. Like, that's awesome. And combining with that contact ability, our ISO numbers topping 300 in AAA this year. That'll like, play, man. That, oh man, that'll play. It's a delicious combo, and if he can tap into, I don't know, half of these skills in the majors, he's immediately a really good backstop in fantasy. Yeah, and, I've, I've, you know, catcher league, like uh, keeper leagues, like snatch him up immediately. You know, everyone knows how valuable it is to get a keeper on the cheap. You know, before everyone else is uh, onto them, just grab him before he comes up today. Or you know later today since it's twelve thirty here. True. Yeah. Always get your keepers cheaper if you can. There you go. There's a nice little phrase ah. for you. Nice little catchphrase. No, I mean I've I've talked to a few different people about K Bear and what they think of him. I mean, there's a lot of people that are kind of in the same vein as you, Schwebzy, that think that he's. I mean, not even just top twelve. Like, I mean, if he can replicate even a. F- like a good portion of that AAA production, he's going to be like a top five catcher, most likely in fantasy. So someone that you definitely want to target, if you can nab him, do it, especially in those keeper leagues. Uh, yeah, love this one. And then do you know off the top of your head what his roster ship is currently? Um, no, because he doesn't actually show up yet because of uh, not being in the majors yet, but I can I can find it real Here quick. One second. But yeah, I mean, the thing about like you said, possibly him being a top five catcher, right? The thing yes. about that 
is that just being a complete player overall, like just being able to hit for both power and average would immediately already make him one of the top catchers because the top five catchers are, are, are populated by guys like, you know, Buster Posey, Mike Zanino. Zanino is all power. Exactly. You know, that yep. he doesn't bring anything else to the table. Eric Haas is number six. Again, all power. So if he can bring a little bit of balance to that, then he does start to look more like these guys in the top four, like Posey, Real Muto, those kind of guys. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, uh, I, I've got him at uh, 5% here. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So he's definitely out there for quite a few of you folks. Uh, if you need a little bit of help at catcher near the end of the year here. And obviously, like Schwedzi stated, if it is a keeper league, go get him. Like, what are you doing? If he's still there, it's it's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, tons of upside. Uh, let's shift over to the West Coast from Washington all the way over to Los Angeles. And let's talk a little bit about Brandon Marsh. So Marsh has put together a really solid August so far, having slashed 322, 385, and 460. Uh, while the power hasn't really been there because he's only had one home run uh, this month, he has been able to tack on five doubles and show off his speed with two triples and a couple of stolen bags this month too. So there is some upside there. Uh, he has, since he debuted on July 18th, just been a staple in center field, obviously with the absence of Mike Trout. Uh, and he seems to be getting more and more comfortable at the pl- plate as time goes on. Uh, Trout is set to return sometime in September, and Joe Madden has been hinting that the return might be closer than some people think. So some people may think that, yeah, there's a possibility that Marsh's playing time is in jeopardy, but I really don't think that's actually going to be the case. Um Mostly because, I mean, the only other people in the outfield right now, you have obviously Otani occasionally playing out there. You have Joe Adele. Uh, but one of the other people, Justin Upton, who has been dealing with injuries lately, has slashed 125, 219, and 232 in August. My heart. That, I mean, we've, we we were big fans of uh, <laughs> of Justin yeah. Upton early in the season. We talked about him a couple different times. Uh, that was my guy. How the mighty have fallen. I mean... I just really think with numbers like that, there's a really high likelihood that Marsh just continues to find his way into the lineup over Upton and over others, even though Marsh has struck out at like an absurdly inflated 42.7% rate this month. So the fact that he has hit for that high of an average and gotten on base that much while still striking out 40, almost 43% of the time, that's pretty wild. Um, He's actually a guy that I would say is akin to Bradley Zimmer skills wise, like a really high strikeout rate, but can hit for some power and has some speed. Um, so if you want to take a stab at someone with that kind of skill set, I think he's a really good target for the last few weeks of the season. I can dig it. Um, I would throw a little bit of water on this one. We, we actually, we were talking about this on the stream. Like I, I think it was his last like 17 games or something where he has like a 700 plus BABIP. So obviously that's Kevin Newman numbers, baby. <laughs> that's preseason Kevin Newman. Yeah. But oh, man. it's, it's just, it's not sustainable. It's Basically, not. No. So who, who strikes out 40% of the time right now? It's basically like Patrick wisdom and that's it. And Patrick wisdom succeeds because he's hitting a ton of dingers to go along with that 40% Correct. strikeout rate. Yes. You almost have to have an absurd BABIP to 
succeed or, or hit a bunch of dingers to succeed with that kind of strikeout rate. And the BABIP isn't sustainable. Dingers are. So if Marsh can start hitting for more power or at least more consistent power, then I can see it. But I, I'm I, I like I, I had heard the discussion about how good he's been lately and everyone quotes the slash line and how, you know, how how great he's been at all lately. And I hadn't taken a deep dive until today. And now I'm I'm a little bit out on him, actually. Yeah. And I will say just to like kind of counter back as yes, he is striking out an absurd amount and the BABIP is incredibly high, but he is also walking over the past month at nearly a nine and a half percent rate. And he's at a 9.8% rate for the season. So he is still getting on base a decent amount, which again, will allow him to steal bags, hopefully uh, with that really, really great speed that he has. So, I mean, there's, there, there's, there's good and bad here for sure. Um, but I do think he's worthy of being rostered a little bit more than 9% between ESPN and Yahoo leagues, which is why I decided to bring him up. Yeah. So. No, I, I want him to succeed because it would be fun because again, he looks like stone Jason worth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So absolutely. I, yeah. We'll see. I mean, we'll see how it goes. I mean, he is, a. I think he's almost 40% for the year. Uh, so he's actually gotten worse in the strikeout column. So that's a little bit rough, but I mean, we'll see how it goes as long as he continues to produce. And again, he's got a 46 BABIP on the year. So that's just ele- been elevated in general. Um, we'll see how it goes though. Uh, let's move on to your next hitter, uh, Yoshi Satsugo. If you are a long time listener of in the deep, and I mean a long time, right from the very start of our little endeavor, Back in episode three, you might remember me looking like a big dummy and calling out Yoshi Satsugo as one of my deep, deep sleepers in our corner infielder preview. I even went so far as to say that Satsugo's plate discipline reminded me of Mike Trout's. I am smart. Anyways. <laughs> you are smart. Shrevzy, <laughs> let me just stop you right there. You actually, I know you're being self-deprecating. You absolutely are smart. And Satsugo's plate discipline is really good. Sutsugo's plate discipline is very good. And that still holds. Like, Sutsugo knows the strike zone as well as any batter in the MLB. The question for him is what does he do when he gets pitches in the zone? And most of the time, the answer to that question lately has been he will swing and miss. Well, now Yoshi is on his third team of the year, the Pittsburgh Pirates, after being let go from the Tampa Bay Rays and then also the Los Angeles Dodgers. And normally, if a hitter gets let go by the Rays and the Dodgers, I'm like, oh, man, because that's a bad sign for the player. Because usually, yeah. like, those are the teams that can unlock things in players. Uh, and, you know, the Pirates are not the team that I think of when I'm like, he's going to rejuvenate his career there. But I digress. The Pirates, you may have heard, are very bad. And he appears to be being platooned against the lefties, which was weird to me at first because he is a lefty himself. But turns out I I looked at it and he actually does have a reverse platoon split. He hits better against lefties. So it makes sense. This is a whole lot of setup to arrive at the main point here, which is that if you're in a very deep league and you need a corner infielder or corner outfielder to hit some dingers, this might just be your guy with Gregory Polanco being cut in a very convoluted fashion. Uh, there are plate appearances up for grabs in Pittsburgh. And while Tsutsugo isn't the best hitter in the world, he's got too much swing and miss in his game to ever be like elite or anything. We were watching uh, all of his home runs for this year. 
and man, when he when he gets a mistake pitch, he, it's just it's one of those one of those swings like when when he makes contact like the ball just does sound different like he puts a charge into the ball when he gets a mistake pitch and he's got that elite plate discipline so he can be helpful in obp leagues so it's a very specific situation where satsuga would be useful to your fantasy team but those situations do exist so if you're in need of power from those corner spots and if maybe if you're in an obp league he can actually be really useful it's this is definitely a, a not for everyone pick, but he does have his uses in fantasy. I really, really like this. You want to know why I really, really like this? To hear me say Satsugo over and over again. Well, I mean, I do love Yoshi Satsugo. Um, just be, I mean, I you kind of sold me on him a little bit in the preseason, just like a little, <laughs> little bit. Um, and I'm glad that we get to talk about him again. And I really like how just this whole season has kind of come full circle. And that actually remains true, not just like for Sutsugo, but also for the person that I'm going to talk about next. I think it's just very funny that the second person that we both chose to talk about are both people that we were on board with and are kind of like our OG and the deep people that we talked about. Well, that's one of the fun things about the ba- the the long, long baseball season. It's that th- there's time for narrative and there's time for guys to redeem themselves within one season on their third team. Exactly. I love it. Uh, spe- uh, speaking of who I was talking about, I think I also talked about him on the corner infield preview. I can only assume because he's a first and third baseman. Uh, our beloved best boy, Bobby, K- Bobby K. Dingers, of Can't course. Uh, and again, like I said, it feels like we've kind of finally come f- full circle with this, our prodigal son. He's had his ups and downs so far this year, but over the past few weeks, Dahlbeck has like finally looked like the player that I think Schwebzy and I both hoped that he could be. This month, Dahlbeck is slashing 346, 433, 750, and has racked up a load of counting stats, including six homers, 11 runs, and a whopping 20 RBIs. Uh, His plate discipline metrics, notably, this is one of the biggest knocks we had on him early is that he struck out a whole bunch. They're improving. So he's been walking over 10% of the time while only striking out 25% of the time, which is a huge improvement over his 35 and a half percent rate on the year. Uh, so his stats again, kind of like the similar cold water as with Brandon Marsh are padded by an inflated BABIP of four Oh six this month, but you really can't deny that there's been a boost provided by the improvements in his plate discipline. And he's kind of got the power to support that four Oh six BABIP. Um, with all that said, I do expect him to fall back to earth slightly, but the fact that he has these plate discipline improvements is really, really encouraging. I think that I'd mostly feel comfortable grabbing Dahlbeck in pretty much any league that has a corner infield spot if you're in need of some pop. He's just been crushing it and he plays for one of the best offenses in the league. Uh, another thing that is worth noting, though, is that Dahlbeck is two appearances away at third base from reaching that magic number of 10, which gives him eligibility at third base moving forward for next year. Uh, that's huge. So having that eligibility at both corner infield spots is a nice bit of added flexibility that will up his stock in coming years. So in keeper leagues, if you want to grab him and hope that he gets those last two appearances there, definitely worth it. I think. Yeah. It's all, like Bobby Dalbeck is almost like a binary proposition for me it's like is the strikeout percentage above 30 percent? i don't want him is the strikeout percentage below 30 percent? yes i want him bad like if you look at his month by month production like every month has been 
or so strikeout percentages by month here. 33%, 39, 39, 39. And his WRC pluses in that time frame, 66, 75, 103, 42. Barely above average in June. And then this month, August, 25K percentage, 210 WRC plus. Just been absurd. Lights out, man. He's been very, very good this month. It's Yeah, it's been really, really nice to see. I mean, like I watched him today and I there was multiple times. I, th- I can't remember who was pitching against him. There, there was multiple times where I saw him spit on like very, very well-located sliders that earlier this season he would have swung and missed on every single time. It's just very clear that he's seeing the ball incredibly well right now. So, I mean, if you're going to like run him out there, now is the time to do it. Again, you missed a lot of the production, but at the same time, I think that there are actual solid changes that have been made here, and he is kind of on a heater, and I'd be yeah. happy riding that for the rest of the season. Right, and it's it's very hard to accurately spit on a baseball moving by at like 90 miles an hour. Yes. Uh, and totally unrelated to his production, uh, our pitcher list meetup was at a Boston game recently, and we got to watch Bobby K. Dingers hit two dingers, and it was fantastic. While yep. watching Chris Sale make his first start in a year. Y'all so, were spoiled, honestly. Really, really. Like the fact that it lined up that you got to see Sale's first start back, that was very, very cool. I'm Dude, incredibly our, envious of that. Our two Northeastern pitcher list meetups have been to the the Chris Sale return with two Bobby K. Dinger Dingers and then a Pete Alonso two home run game. I have personally been spoiled greatly. That's true. You really have been. Oh, man. I mean, that's at least one positive from the season. You are a Mets fan, but you have had s- some positives in regards to baseball. The Pete Alonso has multi-home run games 100% of the time when I go to a Mets game this year. So what I'm hearing is that you, you need to get season tickets. Yeah. Hey, I can't, can't wait to break that to the wife in the morning. Oh, boy. Well, I'll take the blame for that one. That's fine. She can talk to me about it. <laughs> All right. Let's move to your last hitter here. We have Ramon Urias. Yes. So when we were doing our trade deadline roundup, I briefly mentioned Ramon Urias and it was kind of in an like offhand, like brushing him aside fashion. And I'm now regretting that because we were talking about how the Orioles traded away Freddie Galvis and how that opened up uh, playing time for Urias and how I didn't care about that. Well, I should have because since getting a full-time job with the Orioles on uh, July 2nd, Urias has been slashing 293, 366, 429. And he's That's even good. kind of, yeah, that is good. And he's even kind of turned it up lately with eight extra base hits, 10 runs, 10 RBIs in August. Obviously, that's not like Trey Turner production, but from someone who was a complete afterthought to me, I'm kind of stunned at how good he's been. I kind of expected to start researching Urias and find like an inflated BABIP and find out that I wasn't that into him, but turns out I'm kind of feeling it. Like all of the X stats seem to point to this being legit. The plate discipline isn't what I'd call great, but it's fine. It's not detrimental. Like it's not Javi Baez. It's, you know, it's perfectly cromulent. And he's even shown a max exit velo of 112, which is not what I would have expected from a player of his Let's be kind and call it stature. Yes. Um, He's gotten 11.3 barrel rate so far. That's awesome. Like he's even gotten a bit unlucky with home runs because he's got seven home runs and there's seven different stadiums where he'd have double digit home runs with the same batted ball distribution. 
he swings and misses at a slightly above average rate, but he doesn't chase that much. So on balance, it leaves him in a pretty good place plate discipline wise. On the whole, I kind of dig it. I kind of believe in it. He's going to get every opportunity because the Orioles are not good. And after doing some digging, I'm now expecting him to be a completely quality play in AL only leagues or deep mixed leagues with the middle infield spots. I love that. And then offhand, do you know what his roster ship numbers look like per chance? Every week you ask me this and every week I do not <laughs> write it down beforehand. Uh, it is 2%. Beautiful. Yeah, that'll and do. This is yet another player with second, third and short eligibility. We love multi-position eligibility. Gotta love that flexibility, especially this late in the season. I feel like being able to slot people in wherever, because I mean, like little ticky tacky injuries, people getting rested with playoffs coming up and stuff like that too, getting extra days off so they can stay fresh for the playoffs. That's a thing. Yeah. And not for nothing, like this is a player who was playing in the Mexican league not long ago before, before uh, joining the St. Louis organization. I like, I was expecting him to be really slapdicky, kind of just like a slap hitter. And I looked at his home runs and like he was hitting, he was hitting pitches all over the zone out of the park to all fields. Really? He hit a few, he, he, he's a righty. He was hitting a few to right center, like off of fastballs high and low. Like he, he's got some juice. Yeah. Give me that juice a squeeze folks. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, okay. I'm going to move to my last hitter here and this is going to be a pretty quick one, but I just wanted to put a small, small spotlight on Andrew Velasquez. So for those of you that are asking yourself who, uh, Velasquez has found himself as part of the starting lineup in New York for the Yankees more often than I think most people expected with uh, Glaber Torres obviously on the IL and then Tyler Wade bouncing all over the diamond. Uh, starting most days at that shortstop spot in like a pretty good offensive lineup is the biggest draw here for Velasquez, along with the fact that like much like his other shortstop counterpart, Tyler Wade, he seems intent on stealing some bags. And while he's not as keen of a base stealer as Wade is like nowhere near as adept, he is getting more consistent playing time, making eight of the last nine starts at shortstop for the Yanks. Uh, Since he's kind of taken over this role, he's gone three for three for four on stolen base attempts. I really don't think that he's going to be like a force in any other capacity for your fantasy team. But I also don't think he's going to hurt your average that much. And I think his ability to steal bags is something that is always appreciated, especially this late in the season in like the deepest of leagues. Um, And I guess like there is the small little added bonus that if he is hitting ninth, there's a chance that the order turns over and the stronger bats can help him score some runs. Um, I'd probably only roster Velasquez if I really, really badly need stolen bases as like the average isn't great. It's not bad. It's not great. And the OBP is pretty abysmal because his walk rate's like barely over 3%. But if stolen bases is where you need the help, he's going to get the volume to give you a chance. So he's kind of who I wanted to highlight here. Cool. And as a local, the, uh, the New York fans love him. Do they really? I did not know that. Actually, I don't know what, what the oh yeah what, what, the, what the pulse is there in New York in terms of like because I mean I, I I just expect Yankee fans to be like who's this guy? No, see I I thought you were I thought you were tuned into the whole Twitter sphere. There was there was a whole thing going around because he hit a dinger and his family was there and they were all crying and everyone was everyone was sad and happy. Oh, I, I mean those are always just really yeah good vibes regardless of where it is too i i mean i gotta say i've been much more offline lately than i have been in a very long time and it's kind of been nice but what's it like there uh, 
It's a lot of sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. It's pretty I good, actually. I can't, I can't do sunlight. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's all we have for hitters. So let's move over to the pitchers. Schwebzy, let's kick it off first with you and start with Reynaldo Lopez. I, I have I have managed to uh, select three pitchers today and select zero traditional starting pitchers. So uh, if you need a traditional starting pitcher, you're going to have to listen to Jordan this week. But uh, hey. I'm, and I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry to force you guys into that. But uh, yeah, the first player that I'm going to talk about today is Reynaldo Lopez of the Chicago White Sox, and you probably remember him from such columns as. Will Ronaldo Lopez break out in 2000? And will Ronaldo Lopez break out in 2019? And will Ronaldo Lopez break out in two? Yeah, you, you get it. We get it. <laughs> but uh, I, at this point, he's mostly been pitching out of the bullpen. So we can kind of file this one under the Colin McHugh, Jonathan Loisiga type of reliever at worst. But there's some upside here because he's made three starts recently and the results have carried over. And that's awesome. But what are the results? He's thrown 34 innings this year, mostly in relief. But those innings have been like really, truly impressive with a 1.59 ERA, 37 strikeouts, and only seven walks. Those seven walks. Yes. Those seven walks are the key here. Because Lopez has a career K minus walk percentage. And that's that's literally just if you take his K percentage, subtract the walk percentage, that this is the number. His career K minus walk percentage is 11.3%, which is not, not good. Not great. It's sitting at 24.8% this year. For those of you that are like as bad at math as I am, that's more than twice as good. That is, in fact, more than twice as good. Yeah. That is a huge jump. Both the K percentage and the walk percentage are great numbers on their own and go a long way towards explaining his 2.76 FIP, which is a whole two runs below his career FIP number. FIP number, that's a good way of saying things. Good, good, good at <laughs> statistical words. Uh, and the way he's gotten to these results appears to be just simplifying what was already there as he's already had this electric fastball slider combo and he has, he used to throw a changeup and a curveball, and he has apparently decided to now not do those other things and just stick to the electric combo. It's, I swear we do this like at least like once a month. It's funny how only throwing your good pitches makes you better. Uh, and this appears to have brought with it some added consistency because he's locating those two pitches better and, you know, locating pitches better is also good. He's locating the fastball up more often and uh, arm side a lot. And he's also burying the slider more reliably without leaving it right in the middle of the zone, which he was doing frequently before. So as I said earlier, you're definitely getting a relief, like at worst, you're getting a reliever here who's going to put up elite strikeout and walk numbers and frequently throw multiple innings, which is good because you're getting a decent chance at wins also. But the upside here is that the Chicago White Sox maybe go to a six-man rotation to uh, you know, ease their guys who are uh, reaching, you know, career highs in innings like uh like Cease and uh uh Rodone. Uh Giulio's a bit of a workhorse, but they, you know, they might want to give those guys a rest leading up to the playoffs. Uh, and another possibility is that Keuchel continues to stink because he's, you know, 36-year-old Dallas Keuchel and loses his rotation spot. Unlikely, 
but it is in the realm of possibilities because this is a playoff team and every win can matter. So yeah, I mean, if any of those things happens, then that opens up a rotation spot for Raylo. But even strictly as a reliever, he brings value and is worth rostering in deep leagues. Yeah, I honestly like this one a lot. I actually almost talked, <clears throat> excuse me, I almost talked about Raylo last week. If you remember this, did, did I did I tell you not to? You did. <laughs> I, I was just I was just I was just trying to keep this one in the chamber for this no, week. It's okay. I understand. It's fine. No, I mean, there's only so many people that we can talk about each week without this episode going super duper long. Obviously, because we already I, go I long think, enough. I think you discouraged it because he wasn't going to stay in the rotation. No, no, I think that was you that planted that seed in my head. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If, Anyways, only, we, if only we recorded these things. Yeah. Be, if only yeah, we had I'm receipts. About to, I'm about to pour through hours of video to find this. But to end this man's entire career. Uh, no, uh, I really like what Raylo has been doing and uh, just, again, uh, keeping it very, very simple for himself. And then, I mean, yeah, like you said, that K to base on ball ratio is just night and day different. I think we can kind of thank Ethan Katz for this one, potentially. Uh, he seems to be able to fix quite a few pitchers. Uh, yeah. He's been doing a great job there in Chicago. So, uh, kudos to him for sure. And then I honestly, I mean, this is probably my spicy take. I really do hope that they just dump Keiko and turn him into like a fireman and then let Raylo start going into the playoffs. I think they would be better served doing that personally, but that's just me. If, if Keiko gets playoff starts, I feel like it's malpractice. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel safe. I don't like it. He's, he's like the sixth best starter on that team. Maybe, maybe seventh. Probably seventh. I mean, that's the thing too, is they talk about uh, Kopech too. They haven't really been building up Kopech at all, which has been surprising. I know that right. a lot of White Sox fans are very upset that they haven't really been giving him like just like opener roles where he pitches like two or three innings and stretches out more and more because I thought that he was supposed to be a, a starter for them. Yeah, you know, but- like I'm I'm not quite at, you know, fire uh, Keichel into the sun levels. But because uh, he, I guess he does fill that role of being a cranky veteran and saying veterany things. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think he should be throwing significant innings in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. All right, um, let's scoot on along. Okay, so uh, I mean, I'm going to talk about a pitcher here that will literally come as a surprise to no one that has ever listened to an episode of In the Deep or just listen, followed me on Twitter because it is part of my Twitter bio. I'm going to talk about Aaron Ashby. Again, who who? don't even start with me, Schwebzy. What team is he on? Do you people see what I have to deal with every single week? This is, I I chose this. Why did I do this? Why did I, why do I, why do I impose this upon myself? Really, uh, really, uh, Nick chose this. So you only have him to blame. Okay. You're not incorrect. Nick (laughs) shakes fist at sky. Um, Nicholas Peter Pollock. Hey, but you know who else really likes Aaron Ashby? Nicholas Nick Peter Pollock. Pollock. Nicholas Peter Pollock's all is forgiven. It's fine. Love you, Nick. Um, uh, in my mind, it's always been Ashby season. Every day for me is Ashby season. And to be fair, I have been tweeting about Aaron Ashby since March. I have been on this train for a very long time, and I'm glad that he is getting opportunities here at the end of the season. Uh, yeah. No, that's facts because I remember in, in our starting pitcher preview way, way back at the start of the season, just like Sitsugo and Dalbeck, you brought up Aaron Ashby. And yep. my response was, who? Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, look at me. Look at look at look at us with you being smarter once again. I do what I can. Someone's got to be the brains of this operation. 
certainly All not right. going to be me. <laughs> we got brains. We got beauty, baby. We got them both. Uh, but again, Aaron Ashby, he did lock down his first win of his major league career on Sunday, going five innings against the Twins. His only real mistake of the day was a curveball that he hung to Miguel Sano after a leadoff walk. So it was a two-run shot. Those are the two runs that he gave up in that start. Other than that, he looked pretty okay, even though his changeup was basically just non-existent for the entire start, leaving it up and just like not locating it well. Um, I talked about him a ton on yesterday's episode of On the Wire, and I really thought that I had just run out of things to say about him. But then he decided to break out a four-seamer today that he hasn't shown literally once since his call-up. He only threw three of them, but one of them was beautifully elevated at the top of the zone, and it got a strikeout on Byron Buxton in the fifth. You just know that this is a solid development because it literally evoked audible noises from Nick Pollock when he heard or when he saw it. Uh, If you've watched any of Nick's pitcher video breakdowns, like where he just, oh, oh. And he gets very, very excited about a pitch. He'll do like the lean back in the chair, make lots of noises. And that's what he got uh, from this Aaron Ashby four-seamer. So I think this is something to get really, really excited about. Yeah, like we watched that on the stream together. And what I thought was particularly impressive about it was that it wasn't up and out of the zone. So like this was a hittable pitch. It was right at the top. He blew away Byron Buxton, a notably good fastball hitter. Well, that's the thing too, is like he, if he's throwing a four seam like this, that's, I mean, it does have more vertical drop than a normal four seam. But the thing is, is that he throws mostly his sinker, which has a ton of run and a ton of, uh, oh gosh, I got to remember the right terms here. Just, I mean, a ton of vertical drop on it. So in comparison, it's a much different that, pitch. yeah, it's just a much, much different look and people are going to swing underneath it a lot just because of the other stuff in his repertoire. Um, so I think that it's, awesome that he is developing this pitch um something else that i also echoed in yesterday's episode of on the wire was that ashby should get heavily utilized as the season comes to a close whether it's as a spot starter or a follower following any of the starting pitchers that they want to save because i mean i think that they're going to run him out there pretty regularly as the season goes on because you have guys like freddie peralta who is dealing with shoulder inflammation you have Brett Anderson, who had a hip issue in his last start, like people are getting kind of dinged up and they want to save them for the playoffs because the Brewers are going to be winning the Central pretty much without a doubt at this point. Um, I, I think you're going to hear a lot of that from different teams. And uh, you know that that's going to be a selling point for a lot of players now. Like we just talked about that with Raylo. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, people are going to get rested. People are going to have phantom IL stints or whatever and, you know, mm-hmm. or get shut down. And it's going to open up opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, one, that's a really, really good draw on rostering Ashby. Two, the stuff is fantastic. Three, I mean, if you're in a dynasty or keeper league and he's still somehow available, like I genuinely believe, especially now that if he's uncorking this four-seamer and he can develop this appropriately, I fully expect him to be the fourth starting pitcher for the Brewers rotation in 2022, without question. Like, I think he's going to surpass both Adrian Hauser and Brett Anderson. I mean, Anderson's contract is up after this year. I don't think that he's going to get re-signed. I think Ashby just takes his spot in the rotation at a bare minimum. And I definitely could see him starting over Adrian Hauser. So that's my that's my other called shot this week. You you said he could be their fourth starter next year, or he will be their fourth starter next year. And I'm like, wow, hot take. And then you're like, Brett Anderson and Adrian Hauser. And I'm like, oh, that's not such a hot take. Well, I mean, if I said SP3, it'd be a hot take because then he has yes. to try to be a, one of Burns, Peralta, yeah, yeah. Or, or Woodruff. So, 
Yeah. Like, I wow, mean, you think he could be better than Brett Anderson? No I, way. I, <laughs> wow, crazy. What? Yeah, I know. It's super wild. Really, really, really hot takes here on In the Deep. But uh, yeah, Aaron Ashby continued to be a massive fan of him as always, as I always will be. I can't wait to see what he does. And I'm very excited to see what he can do in the playoffs. Yeah, stand by your man. Stand by your man. All right, let's move on. Oh, to another uh, a Bofa alert. We've got a Bofa yes. alert for this next one. we got Drew Rasmussen. It's very funny how um, Tampa Bay made this trade with Milwaukee. They traded Willie Adonis for Drew Rasmussen and JP Fireisen. And uh, Willie Adonis paid immediate dividends and was basically an all-star caliber shortstop the second he stepped foot in the AmFam clam. And then, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, it was like, oh, wow, this Fireisen guy is really good. And we didn't hear much from Rasmussen. And now Rasmussen is starting to do things too. It's like, it's almost like the, both of these teams really know what they're doing. But uh, so, oh, look, it's it's another player with an electric fastball slider combination uh, who may or may not get consistent starts down the stretch. It's it's almost like I literally just talked about a player like this. Weird. But, nothing uh, if not on brand. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So Rasmussen is on the Rays now and he's recently been getting starts. And with the Rays being the Rays, nearly any starting pitcher that they throw out uh, is going to warrant my looking into it at least a little bit because I just trust their process. Yeah. So Rasmussen throws absolute gas. He averages 97 plus on his four-seamer while being in the 91st percentile in spin rate, which means that is a swing and miss pitch. This is a potentially elite pitch if located well. And that's what it like if he fails like i think that will be his downfall it's the location uh the command because he doesn't seem to locate this fastball well but at the same time all right so you, like on on baseball savant you can divide the zone into nine quadrants right and one of those is right down the middle when he throws quadrants nine quadrants <laughs> smart i was gonna say something but i was like i'm just gonna let it go i don't want to be a jerk smart pointed out see no nine zones so uh and when he throws it down that right down the middle zone he only allows a 188 woba that's like absurdly low for a fastball thrown right down the middle i actually what i should have done is looked at how that compares to other pitchers in the league but i have to assume that that's really good compared to other pitchers because you know generally you don't want to throw a fastball right down the middle that's not supposed to be a good pitch but for rasmussen it's been a good pitch this year and that might just be because it's that overpowering of a fastball will that hold i would guess no but it's working so far and if he elevates it at all it becomes a devastating swing and miss pitch Mm -hmm. the slider is dope it moves a ton. It has a ton of vertical drop. It comes in hard at 87 and it gets great results. So what's not to like? Basically, uh, you know, I mentioned those nine zones. As long as he's not throwing it middle down, it gets great results. Everything else is a good result. So yeah, two great pitches. What's not to like? Control and the raise. Rasmussen does walk a good amount of batters and high strikeouts plus high walks does not make for an efficient starter that's not a starter that goes deep into games Mm -mm. so will he continue being a starter is a question will he ever throw enough innings to get ow it's hard to say and it's hard to say if the rays will let him it's also concerning to me that in his three most recent appearances all of which were starts he only totaled 13 innings 
and he only struck out eight batters in those 13 innings. And for a guy with his stuff, that's weird. The upside is high enough here that I've already added him in several leagues myself, and now I'm just waiting to see how the Rays handle him and how he handles more lengthy outings. He's got the arm talent to be a capable starting pitcher. It's just all of that little stuff that separates the, you know, the live arms from the good pitchers is uh, what's, you know, what we're waiting to see. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I got to see a lot of Drew Rasmussen when he was with the Brewers, obviously. And that was the biggest knock on him, even as a reliever was like, he did, he was walking quite a few people. Um, the stuff, like you said, is insane. It's very, very good. Um, the fastball, especially one of the best in the league touted uh, by many people, but I'm glad to see him finding success as a starter. But again, like you said, one of the biggest draws for him was the fact that he was able to strike out so many people previously, but he only has eight Ks in those 13 innings, which I also find pretty concerning. So uh, I think that it was definitely smart of you to add and hold him to see where he kind of ends up and see if he can earn your trust a bit more because it's pretty harmless, right? To add someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I always love a good old Bofa. Love a Bofa. Love a Bofa. All right, uh, moving on. I'm going to talk about another starting pitcher here that is looking to line up against the Colorado Rockies for a rocky road after making a really, really impressive debut, and that's Glenn Otto. So it feels like kind of a huge shot in the dark because we only have seen one game from Otto. Uh, He was one of the return pieces for the Rangers in the Joey Gallo trade to the Yankees. Um, And like in his debut, the Rangers really didn't ask much of Otto at all. They just he just had to go up against one of the best offensive teams in the league in the Astros. You know, not nothing nothing major. Yeah, yeah. Um, to the surprise of most of us, though, Otto rose to the challenge and he twirled five scoreless innings, striking out seven and only giving up two hits with no walks, which is fantastic. Uh, for those that did know Glenn Otto before his outing, which I personally did not and had to do some research of my own, he was really solid in the minors this year between double A and triple A, racking up 134 strikeouts over 95 and two thirds innings. And also, he provided a really stellar 1.01 whip and a 3.2 ERA to go along with it. So, like, he's he's been fantastic this year, uh, both in the majors now in his one start and in the minor leagues. He is mainly a fastball and slider guy. He does have a changeup and a curveball, too, which aren't spectacular and didn't really show out a ton. Uh, but the slider looked especially good in that first outing, nabbing a 50% CSW and producing a 40% whiff rate against, which is just very, very good. And it's against, again, a stellar Astros offense. Um, Nick Pollock did say in the SP roundup after Otto's debut that he does get Rocky Road next, like I stated, which is a super spicy matchup and could lead to another solid outing. So I definitely think that Otto, who is less than 1% rostered across ESPN and Yahoo leagues right now is well worth nabbing as a streamer. And if he performs exceptionally again, I mean, there's more consideration there to see if you just want to hold him on your bench for the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, it's a risk well worth taking, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I still need to go back and actually physically like watch the start because now I'm really, really curious after doing some research on him. And I kind of want to see, because I do have an MILB TV subscription. Uh, and I want to see some of his minor league starts as well. But like just the fact that he seems to be so effective and throws that slider and that fastball, which is not overpowering. He only throws like 92 or 93, I think. Um, but he throws that slider and it's very, very good. I've seen yeah. some gifts of the slider and it is disgusting. And not for nothing. I mean, that ballpark, that is a real nice pitcher's park nowadays. 
Yeah, it has been. That is very, very true. Very good point. Um, yeah, Glenn Otto, someone that is going to be almost assuredly available in your league. Definitely go chase after him and see if you can get something good out of him here at the end of the year. Uh, and then I think we got one more pitcher to talk about, right, Trebs? We sure do. Right. Now, this is going to be an easy one. Uh, All right. I like was, easy. Yeah. Uh, David Bednar. And that's mainly like the reason I even bring him up, like this should be a no brainer. Like he's a closer, he should be rostered, but he's only rostered in 15% of leagues. And I think that's because since taking over as the closer, he only has two saves and that's because he only has two save opportunities. Now, like Bednar's good. Yes. And the pirates are not, but we're talking about closers. So none of that, like, matters like we saw we saw this a few weeks ago when out of nowhere like joaquin soria got a few saves in a row and then we saw it when like tyler clippard got a couple of saves out of nowhere like save opportunities on bad teams don't come with any sort of reliable frequency but they do come and they can come in bunches maybe this means bednar is more valuable in roto than head-to-head but it definitely doesn't have anything to do with his performance. Since taking over the closer role, Bednar has thrown 14.2 innings, striking out 17 while walking only two, and he's only allowed two earned runs in that time frame. Good for a 1.23 ERA and a 1.46 FIP. Of course, he's only had two save opportunities in that time, but he's also piled up a win and two holds in that time frame, bringing extra value outside of the traditional closer stuff. Basically, I just think it's ridiculous that he's only rostered in 15% of leagues. I think this should be way closer to 100% considering pretty much every league needs either saves, holds, or both. Like, he's good, guys. He he might not be getting you saves right now, but he will before the end of the year. I'm literally going right now to look and see if he is available in my TGFBI league because if he is, I'm going to be very disappointed in myself for not trying to make a bid on him this week. So thank you for that. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, anyone who's holding that role is going to have some modicum of value, especially like in deeper leagues. Like you're going to take anything you can get if you're in a league that is one, very deep and two, value saves as a metric for success for your pitchers. So yeah. so I, I believe that that is our last pitcher of the day, right? It was. It All was right. Indeed. So so I, I did a quick savant search while we were while you were talking about Glenn Otto. Because mm-hmm. I, I was curious. I, I piqued my own interest. So fastballs thrown right down the middle. Four seamers. Four seamers thrown right down the middle, which you know you would think are the worst, maybe one of the worst pitches you could throw. Of pitchers who have thrown at least 54 seamers right down the middle, the best the 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 lowest Wobas in baseball belong to Tyler McGill. Drew Steckenrider. Okay. Tyler McGill is 073 Wobas on fastballs right down the middle. That's insane. Interesting. That's wild. I, I want to be- believe it's because he's a, a change-up dominant pitcher. That could be. Just like Maybe. a tunnel as well. I don't know. Maybe. but uh, And then Drew Steckenrider, Zach Granke, Paul Seawald, Andrew Heaney. And then this is the interesting part. So uh, the next three pitchers in a row, Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, Drew Rasmussen. What do the Brewers know that we don't? What, what do the Brewers know about throwing fastballs right down the middle? Whatever it is, I'm pretty happy with it. You know this. <laughs> we know this. But yeah, that that's fun facts with Schwebzy. Fun facts with Schwebzy. That was actually a really nice little fun fact on the show. On I like that a lot. Good research, Schwebs. I like that a lot. Uh, with that, that'll do it for another episode of In the Deep. 
here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Thank you so much again for joining myself and Schwebzy. We appreciate it. If you'd like to stay up to date on when new episodes of the podcast are releasing or when we're going to be streaming, be sure to follow us on Twitter at InTheDeepPL, or you can follow us individually at Bunt Singles for myself or Schwebzy for Schwebzy. That's S-H-W-E-B-S-I. And then also, if you really, really like the show, make sure you go and leave a review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on, whether that's Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate it. Oh, and since I didn't mention it at the top of the show, if you have any mailbag questions for us, feel free to shoot those over to InTheDeepPL at gmail.com. Uh, and with that, we bid you goodbye and Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Thank you.